Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. Hello. Welcome back to Seriously. I kind of want to chat about something that happened over the weekend, which is another Zane update. Yeah, go on, hit me with the Zane update. <laughs> so there was an interview in the Sunday Times with Zane, but the interview itself was like not so brilliant. So it was written by someone called either Lewis or Louis Wise. He just like asked him all the standard boring questions. What, like, why did you leave One Direction? Yeah, also kind of, I mean, maybe this is Zane's fault, but kind of made him look like a bit of an idiot, which I just think is really a really boring mm. angle. So he was like, now look at you, you've got like the supermodel girlfriend and you're like bawling. Like, and Zane's like, yeah, there's loads of fit celebrity birds. And you're like, oh, oh. no, why does this have to happen? Like, why do you have to ask these kinds of questions? It's so annoying. But actually, that, that was one new piece of information I learned from it, which is that Zane's dad's a personal trainer. It's <laughs> a nice tidbit. Yeah. And Zane apparently wanted to study English at university. That if, was If he hadn't ended up in the band. Yeah, yeah. that's a ni- two nice tidbits. But uh, on the whole, I was just like, oh, is anyone going to ask him like actual questions about his music? Because the reason you would normally ask a pop star. Yeah, because the reason he's doing interviews now is that there is music forthcoming, right? There is. And he uh, teased and teased, is it a word I use deliberately, a picture of his new single artwork for the song coming on Friday, which is called Pillow Talk. And he's shirtless. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. So worth checking out. Um, So yeah, I'm quite excited. Let the Zaynaissance begin. And we should say that all of this is like an extended plea to Zane's publicist. Will you please let Anna yeah, interview please. Zane? Oh my god, she I... actually has questions to ask him. <laughs> yeah, and also I like him a lot, and I'm not going to try and make him look like a dumb idiot. So. Are you not a bit worried though that if you interview him, he will sort of be ruined for you? Not really, because I mean, let's be real, he's not Harry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you don't want to interview Harry. <laughs> if I had to interview Harry, I think I might clam up a bit and like not be able to do it. But with Zane, I feel like I would. I'm, I'm interested in him as a human being, but I'm not like. Mm, yeah you know. okay that that's good that's a good place to be in actually because I've gone through such a kind of journey with this in that when I first became a journalist and I was like oh my god I can ask anyone mm. if I can interview them this is a great way of meeting all the people I've ever, ever wanted to meet and yeah. that I really love their work turns out though it's a bit like if you ever like run into a celebrity in a supermarket where you have to sort of role play how that conversation goes before you try it and how it always goes is hi I'm here to interview you by the way I love all of your work <laughs> by the way I love um, you <laughs> And then they're like, okay, thanks. Oh no. And then there's a really long awkward silence and then you have to still interview them and then do your job and you're bad at your job because you like them so much. Yeah. So basically I now have 
a list of at least 10 people who I never want to interview. Because you love them so much. Because I love them so much. Emma Thompson is top of this list, incidentally. Never want to meet Emma Thompson. Oh, no. Uh, Caroline, don't you want to meet her in, like, a situation where you're, like, both at a party and you've both got a glass of wine and then you're like, oh, I've read this book and Emma Thompson's like, you know, I love that book. There, actually, there is, there is one scenario in which I would quite like to meet her, which is, like, backstage at an award ceremony yes. after I've won an award for screenwriting. so anyway what we thought we'd talk about first this week is some of the men films that are out at the moment i feel like they're out because it's you know awards season is just around the corner yeah i can't tell whether i'm more conscious of it this year because you know we're doing the podcast and i'm just a bit more hooked into what's happening with movies or whether it's particularly bad this year but i don't know every film that is out at the moment that is getting any kind of critical attention it feels like, is a, this is based on a true story film involving men learning and growing. I I feel like it's more like men doing like crazy achievements. Mm. Like, oh, wow, I did this thing that no man had ever done before. Yeah. So even learning and growing because they just do the thing and then it's the end of the film. Yeah. So we're talking about Spotlight, the film about the journalist who uncovered the Catholic Church pedophilia stuff. Which I am actually really excited. Which I am also. And this is the thing. So we should say that we're, we're being critical of these films as a trend. Individually, they can still be good. Yeah. Or bad. That is fine. The Revenant, which we're going to talk about in a sec. The Big Short. Yeah. But so what we've decided to loosely term these is like biopecs. Yeah, a term Anna came up with, which I think is great. (laughs) Displays of, like, crazy masculinity, basically. Yeah. Or, like, competitive masculinity. In a surprisingly diverse number of forms, given the fact that the films are all about white men. So, the ones that we kind of wanted to talk about are The Revenant and The Big Short, right? Because those are two that are out at the moment. I've seen The Revenant, you in protest have not. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, it's not often this happens, but I just really, really profoundly did not want to see that film. Nothing about it made me want to give up two and a half hours of my life to I it. I literally can't blame you at all. Like, I went to see it, but I was not excited about it. I was, like, in in the toilet before the cinema thinking, like, oh, God. It's like when you know that you have to have a meeting, just you and, like, eight other men, and you know it's going to drag on and on and on, and no one's going to really be listening <laughs> exactly how I felt. So go in, try and leave my prejudices at the door. So, so t- yeah, tell me about the film. Let's... I mean, have you seen the trailer? Yes, I have. If you've seen the trailer, you've seen the film. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Like, seriously, it's so long. And I'm sat in the cinema. The first moment I had when I was like, found something you could cut here, guys. Opening shot. <laughs> this really long shot of like a river and then there's like, you know, title card, The Revenant over the top of it. And then like, he keeps going up slowly, 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 slowly for about like five minutes. And I'm just like, Jesus, I've already really found some like, that can go. That could go, yeah. It's just one long visual, like assault. Here's a man in pain, basically. So there are some good things that I liked about it. I thought visually, gorgeously shot or whatever. It's a great cinematography. Very good cinematography. And, like, sometimes they have these great long shots, you know, because it's the director of Birdman who, you mm. know, that, that style of making it all look like one shot. And sometimes they'd have these battle sequences where you'd just be, like, the camera would just be going round and, like, one person would die and the person who killed that person would then be killed by someone else. Okay. And like, so it's quite a good way of showing, like, you know, the devastatingness of war because so many people are dying constantly and it's like a conveyor belt. That's my kind thing to say about the film. The rest of it, I was just, like oh my god this is really really just watching people sort of do things that seem hard but for me 
I don't know if I would be like, that's great acting. So Leonardo DiCaprio does loads of like, oh, I'm in pain faces or like throws himself into a freezing cold river or like stitching up his own wounds and like padding snow into him to try mm. and like keep it clean and stuff. There's two scenes that are already quite famous out of this. So he gets mauled by a bear yeah. in a very mm. horrific way. And he later in the film eats raw bison liver because some guy like kind of gives him the off cut of this bison that he's eating. And for me, like, especially the bison bit, like, that's not really acting. Like, that is Leonardo DiCaprio eating a raw bison liver. So mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't be like, the Oscar for best actor goes to you for doing a thing on camera. Yeah. And one of my, or something that my boyfriend said was that, have you seen Keith Lemon's quiz show? Whatever it's called. No. In that, they have a game around where they put like random different kinds of food in a sock and get people to suck on it and then they like often so like vernon k came on and did it and just puked it's really gross and those two things are no different like one's done with a nicer camera the other's done in the celebrity juice studio but they're like essentially the same thing and i just can't be like yep leonardo dicaprio for the oscar Mm. and then also can i spoil i I think yeah go for it okay so if you care about the revenant which you're wrong, but if you do, go and see it. Don't blame me for this. But so the, the it's, it's a revenge story because Leonardo DiCaprio's son gets murdered by Tom Hardy, who's just like an all-round dick mm. the whole time. And then at the end, they like finally have a face-off. You know, he thought Leonardo DiCaprio was dead. He, he's not. He's like, oh, I'm going to kill you. Like They're like fighting. They're like stabbing each other. <laughs> it's all like, you know, a little bit homoerotic and they're all ro- rolling around in the snow and bleeding all over shit. And then... He's basically dead, so he's basically had his revenge, and they're like by a river, and there's some Native Americans on the other side of the river, and then he's like, no, only God has revenge, and like pushes him into the river, and his body sort of floats down to the to the Native Americans, and then they, it's implied that they like murder him. Which is just like so rubbish, because it's such a cheat, because A, he did get his revenge, because he did pretty much killed him, and then at the end he pretended to be a bigger person, and it's like not... That's and, not and what made, happened. And made the Native Americans do his dirty work yeah, for him. That doesn't sound right. It's like, honestly, so, so bad. Like, there are so many things. I, I, I'm i not the person to say them because someone who actually has a deep understanding of, like, American history should probably well, do it. But there I, are some real like, problems in that film. I would like to also just point out NS film critic Ryan Gilby wrote, I think, an absolutely brilliant yeah, blog about bol- the, the, of the, the terribleness of the, like, Oscar films generally. But his take on The Revenant is, I think everything I, and by extension everyone, else needs to know about this film so ryan's take was that it would be a really good film if it was 40 minutes long and about a man who gets killed by a bear (laughs) (laughs) Um, literally if that was the end of the film we'd all be saved so much grief and you can just imagine actually that being a really interesting short like starring leonardo dicaprio and a bear and a bear And the Oscar for Best Bear goes to... Oscar for Best Short Film. There you go, Leo. Stop trying so hard. The nominations are The Revenant, The Winter's Tale. (laughs) Pursued by a bear. It could be called Goldilocks. It'd be fantastic. (laughs) Definitely never going to see The Revenant now. No, don't bother. I came out of it and I was just like, the biggest sigh escaped me and I had to go and lie down. (laughs) Not think about the men. So from that to the other biopic that we've seen and i have actually seen this one the big short which is a very different kind of film to the revenant yeah very different but it is still a man film about extreme masculinity sort of playing badly for people really (laughs) and in this case the people are everyone in the world because the film 
dramatizes Michael Lewis's excellent book about the Wall Street traders who spotted the housing bubble that became the worldwide economic crisis of 2008. Michael, how are you? I found something really interesting. The whole housing market is propped up on these bad loans. They will fail. The housing market is rock solid. It's a time bomb. So Mike Burry, who gets his hair cut at Supercuts and doesn't wear shoes, knows more than Alan Greenspan. Dr. Mike Burry, yes, he does. <laughs> so what they've done is kind of semi-fictionalise events. Yeah, it's quite playful in the way that they have Ryan Gosling kind of chipping in every now and again with like, this really happened, this didn't really happen. Yeah. So it is fictionalised to a certain extent, but they're also constantly making you aware of that. Yeah, so they've kind of played with the idea that it is fundamentally quite a boring but important story mm -hmm. about how economics works. And obviously in adapting a book like that or events like that for the screen, Hollywood was going to want to make some changes. There were going to need yeah. to be like more parties and more like women's nipples and stuff. But rather than just letting that all go by uncommented upon, they've kind of inserted these like breaking the fourth wall elements, as you say, where Ryan Gosling or another character is like, no, this is actually how it happened. I know this seemed, this bit seems mm. ridiculous, but no, this bit is real. Yeah. Which I did appreciate. Yeah. They also had to tackle not just your average cinema going audience, but your average human being has rightly no idea what a cdo is yeah. or a credit default swap or any of the sort of crazy or what shorting even or what is. shorting even is or any of the crazy economic instruments that these guys were using to ruin the world economy instead they do things like it opens with a man at a computer but he's wearing a t-shirt and no shoes so you know he's not like the other bankers yeah exactly and there are kind of intercut scenes where a random celebrity in an improbable situation explains something to you. Yeah. So like Margot Robbie naked in a bath explaining yeah. what a CEO is to you. Or Selena <laughs> Gomez and an economist at a blackjack table explaining what, what are they called? The, I don't know. <laughs> the collateral debt obligations, I think, where, where like people bet on the outcome of a bet on the outcome of a bet kind of thing. That yeah. sort of chain of, of ridiculous making up money. And whilst I kind of admired that as a getting round of the problem, mm. I also thought it was really annoying that most of those intercut scenes seem to be predicated on the fact that women don't understand things. Do you think so? I didn't yes. get that vibe from it, but I can see why you would. But like when I saw that, so they do have one scene that's like, okay, guys, like I think it's Ryan Gosling who's like, okay, guys, we get that this is confusing. So here's Margot Robbie in a bath to explain it. And then they literally just cut to Margot Robbie naked in a bath with a glass of champagne. And she says, okay, so a CDO is none and she like explains it, a well-written little kind of skit yeah. about trying to explain what it is. And then at the end, she's like, now fuck off. But I feel like the humour, particularly of that thing, is predicated on the fact that she wouldn't normally know that. It's just in the hyper-reality of the film she has all that to say because someone wrote it down for her maybe what i got from it was you're not interested but what you are interested in is naked women in a yeah, bath that too definitely so that, that was too. that was what i thought the joke was which i get why a lot of people would be like this isn't funny this is just grim but i mm. found it funny um, <laughs> i was quite like okay i'm just not gonna I, I i enjoyed those i thought they were funny and i liked that they were at least being quite playful and not being like this is a serious man film yeah that that i did appreciate i also appreciated incidentally that wherever they I think wherever they could, i.e. where they weren't dealing with a real person. Mm. So the sort of four main men in it were, or four to six, were real people. Mm -hmm. And they're all played by Steve Carell, Brad Pitt, Ryan Gosling, mm -hmm. etc. But wherever there was a kind of, a character could be invented, so like a sort of secondary banker character at Goldman Sachs or whatever, they were very often played by not white people and not men. 
Yeah, that's true. You know, so there was... So Steve Carell's boss at Morgan Stanley was a black woman. Like, yeah. So I feel but like... They, they're very much the supporting oh, cast, oh, yeah, if they you can are. even call them that. They yeah. absolutely are. And that is frustrating in its own right. But I do feel like if they hadn't bothered to do that... There would have been no female characters. There would have been no female characters, characters. At all. Or yeah. non-white characters. True. Um, which would be a true... Probably more of a true reflection of the events. I did overhear someone on my way out of the cinema saying that that film is probably more diverse than the actual banking sector yeah yeah definitely <laughs> and that obviously that is a, a problem with the banking sector it is also i feel like a problem of like the oscars privileging this kind of film mm-hmm. in that when you when you stick the based on a true story label on something you kind of get a free pass for not bothering to include yeah, different kinds true. of experience and it's as though it's oh but it this this wasn't what happened at the time so we don't yeah. need to include it, but then again, people still get annoyed when you have when you cast black people in Star Wars. So it seems like people just don't want it either way. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But this this kind of it seems like a device for circumventing yeah. that argument. I don't know. So I came away from the Big Short feeling quite stupid, and like I still didn't understand the banking situation, even though they tried so hard to break it down for me. <laughs> I actually came away still not understanding it really. But feeling a bit better about the fact that I didn't understand it in the Mm. sense that I felt like what they'd really clearly delineated for me was the fact that no one was meant to understand it. Right, that that people are obfuscating this on purpose so that it becomes elitist and it gives them more power and control over our money. And the power to be fraudulent without detection because no one can be asked to go through the thousands of subprime mortgages and actually look packaged up in these bonds and find out whether people are actually going to pay them on time or not and basically find out what all these words mean like what does a cdo mean where are these mortgages coming from like yeah exactly exactly. so i actually came away feeling like i don't understand it but that's kind of okay because that wasn't meant to yeah and so i think i i I mean i'm no i'm repeating myself a bit but what i liked about this film was that it was playful and like the revenant is humorless it's completely Mm. humorless like there might be one or two little moments where the audience laugh, but as a as a film, it takes itself so seriously, and there's just like not really any joy in it. Whereas the Big Short, I came away from it being like, you know what, I liked it. It was mm. fun. I appreciated that they messed around with the narrative a bit. I like to see things that experiment a little bit. I'm not saying that putting Margot Robbie in a bath is like the artistic apex <laughs> of you know the 21st century, but at least it's at least it's a little bit loose and a little bit yeah. fun. So I think if if you have to go and see a biopic this award season, yeah. we definitely recommend The Big Short over, over the, Revenant. the Revenant. But I still, I'm st- it still grates on me the fact that I feel like we're praising The Big Short by comparison. We're not saying it's objectively the best film going. The best film going. We're just saying that in a field of men explaining things to you, films, mm. it's the least worst. Yes, agreed. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now we're going to talk about the web series, I suppose you'd call it, that goes with James Corden's chat show in the US. I can't remember what his chat show is it's called. It's The Late Late Show, I think, isn't it, with James Corden? Yeah, those American late night TV shows make no sense to me. Yeah. But anyway, so there's a strand on it called Carpool Karaoke, which they release on their YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. It's been sort of ticking away for a while. They've been Every time there's one released, it kind of gets a bit of a buzz. But the Adele one that came out just recently has somehow like forced it to the top of the conversation. So just to explain a bit what it is, and I apologise, Americans, if we're kind of explaining a staple bit of your television culture to you we don't really have shows like this lots and lots of the late night chat shows have these regular sort of gimmicks segments that they do so like on the tonight show that jimmy fallon does they have their lip sync battle thing which has now become its own which has now become its own separate show like i remember jimmy kimmel's halloween videos exactly one of the first things of those i was introduced to exactly lots of them have regular format little clips that are what like max 10 15 minutes Mm -hmm. and more and more seem to involve some kind of celebrity interaction. So you get the guest on the show to talk about their new movie or whatever, but while they're there, you also get them to do a rap for you or like sing in a barbershop quartet or like smash an egg on their head. Or yeah, something I feel else. like it's quite a good way of getting celebrities to agree to do something silly that they might not yeah. otherwise agree to if you're like, oh, and, and of course our popular series that goes viral, you know, this thing. Exactly. You Jennifer Aniston did it, so you should yeah, do it. That exactly. kind of thing. So that's what Carpool Karaoke is. That's where it comes from. And it's basically just James Corden driving around in a people carrier with a musical guest. Yeah, it's so obvious that James Corden's like, I like driving. I like singing. I'm going to get my guests to get in my car and I'm going to drive them around and we're going to sing. Yeah, and coincidentally, almost all of the music that comes on the radio is the music of the artist he has in the car. With him, so he is singing, you know, Iggy Azalea songs with Iggy Azalea. That's, that one was so bad. I know. <laughs> so that that's that's it. That's what it is. But somehow it's kind of really captivating. Yeah, it is. I, I, and I think it's something we've talked about before that we think a lot of James Corden's best things that he's taken over to this show come out of stuff that he did over here. So Carpool Karaoke is something that we have said before on this podcast basically comes out of those scenes in Gavin and Stacey with them driving around and singing don't we think singing along to like the radio exactly and actually this very point was made really well in a piece from last week in the Guardian by Stuart Heritage in which he said by some bizarre quirk of science James Corden manages to be actually really likable in this it's clear from this that Stu Mm. doesn't really like James Corden but he says that carpool karaoke you really like him and you want to hang out with him. He said, this could be because singing in a car is possibly James Corden's greatest skill. It is something he did in Gavin and Stacey and again with George Michael for comic relief. And now he's doing it with the biggest stars in the world. Yeah, it's definitely true. And he's better than the average person at singing. Like, he's not a good singer, but he's just sort of 
James Corden can actually sing well, in tune. And so he... my impression is that he he doesn't have the nicest sounding voice, but he's very musical mm. in the sense that he's got a really good ear. So whilst he doesn't have like the astonishing depth of tone that Adele does, he can hear where all the harmonies are. Yeah, he in can songs. do he can do a quite basic harmony you know? and like even but he's just like there's something quite charming about it, isn't yeah. there? He's like a charismatic singer even if he's not a great one. It's endearing when it shouldn't be. And that is a great skill as a comedian. Yeah, I'm so undecided on James Corden because I I think he's really talented mm. and I know a lot of people think that he's overrated and don't understand how he's managed to have the career that he's had. But I think he's a really talented guy. I'm just not sure if I knew him in person whether I'd like him or not. I can't tell. Yeah. I'm also not sure and this is a funny thing to say about a sort of multifaceted entertainer I'm not sure what he's actually talented at and what he's just getting to do because of his other success I kind of think that like you say that maybe he's not a great musician but he's got an ear for music mm. I sometimes think he's just got a real eye for comedy and like yeah so he, he I think I may have said this before on the podcast but there's a bit in some of the Gavin and Stacey extras where he's talking about the writing process and stuff and he's like I just think normal people are so funny constantly mm. he was like when my mum was growing up she always used to say oh god all i do is fill up this bloody fridge and all you kids do is bloody eat it and i just thought that was a hilarious thing to say it's just funny you can't like write it because it's just constantly happening all around mm. you so i think he is good in that observational way of being like hang on that's funny yeah we have to actually, do this the really emblematic scene for me of that in gavin and stacy is the bit about oven gloves yeah. Where all the guys are gathered in the kitchen and Mick's talking about his new oven gloves. Slate grey. The slate grey. Or the charcoal. 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 Yeah. And, um, and Pete's like, apologies if this is a two personal question, but can I have a go on your oven gloves? Yeah. And then he just like takes a roast out and puts it back in a few times. He's like, it's brilliant. I can't feel anything. Magic. And he's like, what are you using? And he's like, tea towel. <laughs> oh, and they're all no, like, no, no, you'll yeah. get burns, mate. Yeah. It's great. It's, it is just so such a basic interaction, but it's so funny. Yeah, so um, he's he's really he's got an eye for that kind of thing, definitely, and that's what he's bringing to the Late Late Show with little skits like this. Yes, exactly, and obviously the the late night comedy thing in America already has that as part of it, so yeah, he fits right in, and you know I'm pleased with him. He's found a place that works, but more importantly. What is your number one carpool karaoke video? I think you can probably guess what my number one is without even asking me. Is it the One Direction one? <laughs> yeah, it is. Which I just think is great, though, because I like having the more people in the car. Because mm, obviously yeah. they're a big band. There's four of them, plus James. It's just there's a lot of other stuff going on as well as the carpool karaoke in that bit. So, like, I think it's Louis in the front is playing with the heating settings on Liam's seats. And, like, Liam's like, oh, my God, I'm really hot. And, like, <laughs> and, and they, like, drive past a couple on the street and start, like, who are making out and start, like, yelling at them from the car. And they're obviously, like, just shocked to see he's in the car. They also do a whole bit where they get out, like, denim jackets and start doing, like, a dance routine in the car. Like, a sort of waist-up routine. Mm. And it's really funny. So, yeah, that's definitely my favourite one. Yeah, I think my favourite one is probably the Adele one. The the monster rap. The yeah. Nicki Minaj monster rap that Adele does is really good. It's really good. Pull up in the monster automobile gangsta. With a bad bitch that came from Sri Lanka. Yeah, I'm in a tonga car, a Willy Wonka. You can be the king, but watch the queen conquer. First thing first, I eat your brain. Then I'm a sign rocking gold teeth and fangs. Cause that's what a monster do. They're just from Milan, that's the monster do. Monster just a be healed, that's the monster shoe. Young money is the roster and the monster crew.
Nikki's cheesecake. Gianna duck it while I fucking eat some cheesecake. And I'll say, ride the Chucky is child's play. Just killed another career, it's a mild day. Pink with thick ass, give him with flash. I'm thick, big, get cash, make him blink fast. Now look at what you just saw. This is what you live for. I'm a and it is exactly kind of what you think in the sense that she is really relaxed. Uh-huh. And they, I get the feeling that they've met several times. Yeah, that they it know really each other. Like that. Um, and yeah, so she's quite relaxed. She's quite kind of generous. She's not, because the thing, like Adele is not that forthcoming in interviews. She clearly doesn't like mm. talking about herself very much. So you can always tell when she's being interviewed that she's like prepared the anecdote she's willing to tell yeah. that night. Yeah. Um, and she won't give any more than this. Whereas this, she's just quite chatty about like, oh yeah, so I went to a restaurant and like, I was a bit yeah. pissed because my friend didn't turn up and, and then it was like someone's birthday. So I just went and like offered to pay for their meal. And then <laughs> I like ended up singing for them. And this was really, really embarrassing. And I'd had three glasses of wine and you just get, it really feels like that is just her talking. I'm always doing that. I'm always like, it's me, Adele. <laughs> <laughs> you really believe that she does spend a lot of her time trying to convince people that she's actually Adele. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then the other thing, and this actually the same thing came across when she was on Jimmy Fallon and they have a a strand on that where they get musical guests to sing their hit song but with like classroom instruments yeah yeah and all kinds of people have done that like Carly Rae Jepsen One Direction have done it loads of people have done it and the Adele one she does Hello and there's this amazing bit which there's a gif of it that I will find and tweet out basically you know they play the intro bit Mm -hmm. and then she comes in with the first note and Jimmy Fallon is so taken aback that Adele actually sounds like Adele like that she sounds like that raw and unproduced that he just like does a total double take and like stares at her and forgets to sing the next bit Um, (laughs) and that's kind of what I felt like in the carpool karaoke thing is you sort of forget that Adele does actually just sound like that yeah it's just her natural tone and everything it's amazing honourable mentions though have to go to the Justin Bieber one he comes across as a little bit of a psychopath in the sense that and I find I always find that so interesting about famous people Mm. when they just reveal things that they think are totally normal but Mm. actually make them sound crazy like when James Gordon quite offhandly goes to him like so you did that Calvin Klein campaign you must have just got like loads of free pants and Justin Bieber's like yeah I don't wash them I just throw them away after I've worn them yeah yeah I just wear one pair of pants "Ah." and then fit them You know, stuff like that. He'd never say that in a interview. It's funny, yeah, because you can trick people into thinking they're in just this really relaxed environment. Um, my worst one was, did you see they did the compilation one for Christmas? No, I haven't seen that. It's one actually thing. quite nice. So they've, they, it's just like people doing lots of different Christmas songs as well. And like, they've all got Christmas hats on. Mm. And then the, Iggy Azalea's there in like, is she in a wedding dress? What, yeah, what, I, I, don't, I don't know why. I can't remember why. And she's there and he's like, oh, you know, do her rap. And she does this, like, the worst rap, where she's just like, <laughs> it's Christmas time, I'm gonna drink some cookies and wine. Oh. And you're like, oh no, she's that so was really your best, like, that was your best attempt, you weren't even joking. It somehow seems to really work in a kind of age of where celebrities are overproducing even their social media mm. output. Mm-hmm. It somehow seems to cut through that Seems in a way. very lo-fi. On that note, one thing I loved about the Adele one and some of the other ones as well is, like, that kind of lighting from inside a car is not flattering on makeup. No, and you can like you actually can really see, see the makeup yeah. they're wearing, and you're like, oh, it's just, it just feels so normal that you can like see like Adele's eyeliner getting in the crease of her eye or whatever. Yeah. It's like, oh, that happens to you too. Gutted, normal. <laughs> <laughs> Pull up in a monster automobile gangster With a bad bitch that came from Sri Lanka Yeah, I'm in a tanga, color a Willy Wonka You could be the king, but watch the queen conquer Okay, first things first
So last episode, I recommended that Anna watch Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries, the mm-hmm. Australian detective series set in the 20s. Anna, what did you make of it? I really enjoyed it. It's a really funny creature, isn't it? Yeah. It's like quite an unusual show. So as it says on the tin, it's a murder mystery series, sort of in the vein of like an Agatha Christie, because yeah. it's that kind of period. And it's that kind of like, you're not the police, but you're getting involved anyway. And Miss Fisher is this sort of young woman who's been living in Melbourne, then gone away to London for like a a bit because of some sort of thing in her past that we don't fully know about at at the point that I'm watching. And then she comes back and she sort of like reintegrates herself with some old friends and straight away starts, you know, murders start happening around her and she just like gets involved. She just seems to be like, yep, I'm going to sort this out. From watching it, I got the feeling that this was made on quite a low budget. I think that's probably true. You can... So I'm now at the end of series two. I think there's three series that have been out so far and they're all on Netflix. You can see they had more money for the second series because they do whole episodes where they like go to other locations and stuff. Because it seems very much like on a set and like, although the costumes are great and fun, they're like, there's something a bit wrong about them. They're like not quite period. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're a like, bit too freshly made, aren't they? Yeah, they're they're all very bright and colourful and like silky and they look lovely, but I'm a bit like, there's something, there's a slight vein of tackiness going on throughout yeah. the whole thing at the same time, which I quite enjoy. <laughs> like it's all, it's all a bit camp. Oh, definitely. And yeah. like fun. And I really like that about it. So it, for me, it kind of falls excellently between that line of being like actually good and funny. <laughs> so it's like it's, yeah. I'm enjoying watching it the plot is actually quite fun but at the same time it's all a bit cliched and it's a bit like oh yeah of course it was that but of course that person was the murderer and you can like play around with it like that as well so that's what I'm enjoying so far is that I can both poke fun at it and actually be quite gripped by it at the same time yeah exactly it's also I find exactly at the right level for I'm quite tired I need to watch something that's just less than an hour yeah it it really just hits this, that spot every when time. When you've not got you know the mental I mean? capacity for making a murderer, but you do, yes. you do want something a little bit exciting. Yes, exactly. You can stick on a Miss Fisher's murder mystery. Yeah, and it is great. So she, I think, is brilliant, particularly mm. playing Miss Fisher, and really, I think, ties the whole thing together because she's charismatic enough to, to yeah. like keep it keep it going and sustain the energy and stuff. And I, yeah, I really like all her outfits. As you said, that I had to come back with some favourites. I was paying extra close attention. So I love that the uh, first episode opens with her in like a silk blue sailor outfit. Yes. Which is hilarious. <laughs> Absolutely hilarious, but great. There's a bit where she's wandering everywhere in like a red cloche hat and lipstick. Oh, the and hats coat. are great. The yeah. hats are really great. So she's got like red on the head, red on the lips, red on the body. Yeah. And they're really nice. I liked that. And I also really like she's got this like blue velvet coat with like enormous white fur, fur trim thing, yes. on the on the cuffs and on the lapel, which is amazing. But there's loads. She just looks great all the time. Yeah. Some, it randomly reminded me of, did you ever read Roald Dahl's Revolting Rhymes as yeah. a kid? There's the one about Red Riding Hood and there's a line in it where it's something like, you know, the wolf twitched and then, then the line is, one eyelid flickered, she whipped a pistol from her knickers. Yes. And that's like yeah. so Miss Fisher. She like keeps like pulling daggers from like her, her what's it called? Garter, <laughs> Garter or whatever. Belt, yeah. Yeah. And it's like so funny because it's like so glam and like violent and I really like that. But there is a also a kind of slightly serious social dimension to it in the sense that a lot of the people she ends up helping are either people who distrust the police for totally understandable reasons or can't afford to hire a, a sort of more profit motivated private investigator or mm-hmm. are, you know, 
women in lesbian relationships and worry about getting discovered or uh people who are getting backstreet abortions and they can't yeah. they can't prosecute the guy because there's a there's a prison sentence on getting an abortion it does expose a kind of strata of society that isn't necessarily that popular in period adaptations yeah i think it also makes an interesting counterpart to jessica jones that we were talking mm. about last week because Although Jessica Jones is much grittier and much darker and probably much more slickly produced. Similarly, there seems there's a sort of thread in Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries where Miss Fisher is helping out other women. There is a, you know, a violence against women issue yeah. in her past that she's trying to overcome at the same time. And you, you do get the feeling that part of her helping other women is related to that. And that's exactly what Jessica Jones is doing. She's, you know, a domestic abuse survivor and she's trying to help other women because of that past and wanting it to not happen to other people. So that all the, I think although they're very, very different shows, mm. they're kind of doing similar things. They do have that in common for sure. And I think another thing they kind of have in common is that they put the female protagonist in total control of her relationships. Mm -hmm. And that I think is something that domestic abuse survivors often do is that subsequently any other relationship has to be on their terms mm -hmm. like either we do it my way or you're not involved in this kind mm -hmm. of thing. so as the series goes on and you see her she has various kind of relationships with men some very short some a bit longer and it's always because i want you to be here and when i've decided you don't i don't want you to be here then you have to go kind of yeah thing, and i have all the power yeah. and that that is kind of interesting to see it's nice to see especially in that period setting because she is so like you know Mm. daring inverted commas and it is a bit scandalous inverted commas that she's like promiscuous basically what do you think about her and jack police inspector because that's that's like the number one ship in that show yeah you can just tell that something's going to happen eventually and also because right now there's not that much like sexual tension between them there's quite a lot of time for them to play with that like they don't have to go straight into yeah that. so yeah yeah I, I think i thought that was probably going to happen bim adawunmi who works at buzzfeed kind of got me into this this show originally and she was like oh good for her i would listen to any anything she recommended I she was like instantly. a series and a half ahead of me when i started and so i saw her tweeting that gif from pirates of the caribbean of captain barbosa just going just kiss <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. ari froney and jack and i was like what really i'm only on episode two yeah. i don't want them to kiss and then i All got done so far is stand on a train and then i got to what was clearly the point bim had reached and i was like oh yeah okay mm, yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm totally there for this now Oh, cool. Well, I'm. I, I think I'm going to continue with it. I'm still. I'm at the moment. I'm more into Jessica Jones. I need to get mm. through that before I can really recommit to other Lady Detective series. I do highly recommend it, though. It just has this really good place in your like roster of shows. Because I feel like these days with Netflix and so on, you, I certainly operate on a kind of portfolio system where I have several different shows on the go that are right for different times, times and states of mind. Yes, absolutely. And Miss Fisher is a really good like it's, Great, a, it's okay. a fixture for that. Great, perfect. So for not next week, but a few weeks ahead. Because we've got a, a bit of a break coming up with some specials and so on. I'm going away. So yeah, there will definitely be podcasts. But You actually be, won't be without us. You won't be without us. Never, never fear. But there are going to be other interesting things rather than a regular weekly episode for a few weeks. Mm -hmm. So for when those two weeks are over, I would like to chat about Ali Smith with you. We both love <laughs> Ali Smith already. We really do. So this is not like kind of a cheat recommendation, but I've been reading her latest, which is a collection of short stories called Public Library. And it's about libraries and the the issue of libraries closing. Mm. Though, as with anything you talk about with Ali Smith, it's not about that. It's about all the stuff around that floating mm. in the air. And uh, it's really interesting and I think you'll like it. I can't wait. I'm sure you will. <laughs>
Thanks for listening to Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, iTunes and Tumblr. All the links are at newstatesman.com slash S-R-S-L-Y. Thank you.